This episode of the Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations Podcast is brought to you by Planet Earth. Yes, that's right, the place we call home and the place that our special guest, Dave Rastovich, has been working pretty hard to clean up. In this podcast episode, we're going to talk to Raster about a number of different things, uh, namely how to kind of get involved and get on the front lines and do something if you see a problem in the world. We're also going to talk about a current issue which has been sweeping through social media, and it's a really important one. It's the fight for the bite. Uh, If you haven't seen the news already, a Norwegian company, 65% owned by the government of Norway, meaning the people of Norway, named Equinor, is trying to drill for some oil in the Great Australian Bite. It's a pretty nuts idea, and we're going to talk about it, and if you want to do something about it, there's plenty of ways you can learn uh, from the links in our bio for this podcast about how you can kind of put your voice to the issue and uh, learn more about some of these challenges that drilling in sensitive regions of the earth, not not only the Great Australian Bight, but also other places, um, what the potential damage can be for our um, local environments and ecosystems. So there's plenty to learn here from Rasta. I've got to say a huge thank you to him for taking the time to catch up and talk, and I hope you really enjoy this um, special episode of the podcast. Oh, well, welcome to the Nordic Surfers Magazine podcast, Dave Rastovich. <laughs> Via the North Shore Via of Oahu. Yeah, I was just about to say, I wanted to kick off the, the chat. It's been a, a nice um, a nice uh, little bump into each other at Haleiwa, checking the surf the other day. And mm. uh, I was on a on a message with Gabe Davies, so a big shout out to Gabe at um, Patagonia Europe. He was trying to connect us up and um, we managed to do it ourselves. Great so, surfer too, yeah, Gabe. Yeah, absolutely rips. Um, where are we right now? Do you want to situate us? Good question. Mm. Um, I, I, I ask my partner and anyone around me that all the time. <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> when are we? What are we? Ooh, deep. We should <laughs> yeah, be too deep and yeah, start. Yeah. Now then we can try and dig ourselves out. <laughs> um, yeah, well, hey, here we are in Hawaii and... Um, my my partner Lauren and I have a little uh, baby boy who's one and a half, and so I hadn't actually been back to Hawaii for the last two winters, uh-huh. which is the first time that's happened since I was like fourteen. Yeah. So, um, you know, this time of year in Australia, where on the east coast where we're living, is pretty quiet. Mm. It's a million degrees, mm. howling onshore. Yeah, yeah, Occasionally, yeah. you get cyclone seasons that are really good yeah. where we live anyway. Yeah and there are options to surf, um, but it's pretty quiet, you know? Mm. Um, so it's always been a great time to come here. Mm. And, uh, and just to have the good fortune to choose that mm. is just out, outrageous, you know? Yeah, like growing up and being able to hustle a ticket out of a surf company and mm. wrangle together some boards mm. and, you know, look for a cupboard or a couch to sleep yeah, on yeah, yeah. Um, has always just been amazing. And, mm. and so I've really grown to just love being here yeah. no matter what it takes mm. and and you know to see friends and stuff but also it, it's really about seeing the water here mm. just getting to see big rogue swells it's a different kind of thing right there's no ocean no. like it you no. know so being able to do that is just such a a fortunate position yeah. like really you know even just to be a surfer is a fortunate yeah. thing in this world totally um but then to be a surfer that can come to this place, you know, this heart of surfing, this centre point for the surfing world, is just epic. I love it. It still pretty much is, isn't it? Like, would you say in your experience over all these years of visiting, um, you know, this one island in the middle of the Pacific, it still holds a really important place in surfing? Mm. Has it changed much so over that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like so many things, the surface changes and there's always you know dramas and tensions Mm. and and shifts on the surface of things Mm. just like the ocean you know there's always Mm. surface chop Mm. but then beneath it all is is a power and a calm and a clarity to things just like when you dive down deep in the water Mm. and so i think underneath all the changes that are going on in hawaii um much like all coastal areas around the world Mm. um there is still that Mm. beating heart of surfing that is strong Mm. and is just fucking awesome Mm. and you know all you have to do is be out at any one of the incredible reef breaks in these islands 
when it's over 10 feet mm. and all of the stories on land, all the trivial stuff of human life yeah. is the last thing on your mind. All you're thinking about is getting a good breath yeah. before you either take off <laughs> exactly. or cop one on the head. Exactly. You know, so, so that kind of cuts through it all. So, mm. you know, yeah, there's heaps of talk here when you speak with locals about overdevelopment and traffic mm. and tourism pressure and all those sort of things. Um, but hey, it's the same in my town in Australia yeah. and the same in most coastal parts so, of the same world. Where I'm from too. So, mm. so you know, I don't really get bogged down in the human story too much. Mm. Um, but yeah, this place has changed a lot. Like I just went surfing down the street here at a spot where it used to be where the sort of housing commission zone is, mm. and I would never have thought to um, walk through there yeah, right. and leave my stuff on the beach yeah. and go for a surf and come in and it'll yeah. still be there or or. Um, or even really go out if there were too many people out or anything yeah. like that. But And now it's like this weird kind of gated community yeah. deal with these huge empty houses. And There's a know, bit of that around here. That's a change. Yeah. That's a significant change. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, I mean, um, w when you come here though, like, it, has it changed in what your approach to the place has been after these years? Like, in you know you've had two and a half or two seasons away from it mm. what, do, what do you what do you hope to achieve when you're here is it getting I've some big just, stuff at sunset yeah is i've always it, just wanted to surf and just have full range in yeah. my surfing experience here so paddle out to outer reefs yeah. go around to the corners where there's maybe just a couple of local crew and yeah. no cameras yeah and like definitely mostly seek out you know camera free zones yeah, and right. jet ski free zones oh, wow. okay um, for me, I yeah. prefer that. And then when the opportunity turns up where, you know, the Kodak reef joints and all that kind of stuff are good and people want to shoot some pictures or happen to be there shooting pictures, then yeah. that's fine too because yeah. that turns that turns the wheels yeah. for me, you know. It keeps, yeah. um, keeps things moving and it's a way for me to hustle another ticket to get to another <laughs> yeah, place exactly. or something, you know, yeah. and you've got to be honest about it. Yeah. Um, so a bit of both, but... Um, but yeah, for me, it's 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 the range here that you can you can go like body surf pipe on a day like this when it's sort of wobbly and weird mm. and stuff and have a great time. Yeah. Or you can go paddle out some you know really quiet spot and just be with a couple of local crew. Mm. Uh, or when it's huge, you can go paddle and out a reef or. Um, you know everything in between. You can go into town and tandem surf with your family. Yeah. Um, all that sort of stuff is just cool. There's just so much range yeah. here, yeah. which is neat. Yeah, it's super cool. It's yeah. super cool. Well, we've situated ourselves. Now yeah, we're and here we are. Like we're sitting we are. right here at Sunset, yeah. you know, renting a little cottage here behind Sunset Beach. And, yeah. and, the, and this is rad too because it's like all of a sudden now we've got a little grom and we come down to the shore break here and there's heaps of kids yeah. playing in the shorey and he gets to watch them. Yeah, it's sick. You know, riding their boogie boards down onto the shore. It's and an stuff. endless, um, it's and cool. it's quite a show out the front there as well. I mean, there's yeah. so much to watch at yeah. sunset. I don't know if anyone listening's ever had that experience, but um, as far as places to view so much happening at one time, I think mm. sunset offers a really big vista, often mm. if you can find a spot along the front here and, and have a look out. But um, yeah. yeah, so it's nice. And, mm. and you know, I'm just a, I really, I'm just a surf rat. And mm. like any of us who, are honest with, our, with ourselves and um, are somewhere where the surf is flat mm. and you know that somewhere else it's pumping, mm. it, you know, if you can't handle that feeling, yeah. then I can relate to you yeah, and you can yeah, relate yeah, to yeah. me and that's why we're, you know, we're here because yeah. we want to just be surfing yeah. and be among good surf, yeah. you know. And good riders as well, I find, like, it's, it's always super inspiring to see so many top guys in one place at one time yeah, it's kind yeah. of like a rare feat and yeah, it whilst it, it's a pain with the crowds but at the same time you get to actually witness like true. the best of the best and yeah it's true mm. yeah yeah well i've always zigged when everyone zags yeah. and this is the only time i ever see yeah. people in the professional surfing world yeah, or whatever sure. like i grew up in that whole scene and and the only time i'd ever see like mates from that world like parko and other crew from the the you know the top competitive sort of um, circle. The only time I'd ever see them would be here. That's cool. In December, That's you know, and I'd I typically would come in December to see crew, and then be here through January and late December when 
they all leave yeah. and it's nice and quiet again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it but it was fun and is fun to see um, they see that yeah. crew. You know, like the other day we got to see Carissa Moore just tearing and swooping on these beautiful waves, and then Connor Coffin, and then yeah. you know the jo- some of the Johnson family, Kona and yeah. Jack and Trent, and and then Kelly was out and. Yeah. It's just kind of it's neat because you it's can all cool. you can just jazz out on it and be like, oh, what are you writing? Let me look at those fins. Yeah, oh, yeah. what is how does that feel? And yeah. and that's cool. It's a fun thing. And then I really like being able to go back to my home, where I don't see any of those crew yeah, at exactly. all. <laughs> exactly. Had enough years them out. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Well, look, speaking, uh, we've kind of touched on where we are and what we're doing, but um, one of the things that was on the list of uh, questions I shot through was um, just talking a bit about starting with you the individual and um you know you've your careers have been a long one already how long has it been how long do you see yourself in long this enough career? to have hairy teeth and, gr- <laughs> and gray hair and skin like an old leather couch yeah okay so it's been a long and illustrious career yeah no well i'm 30 i just turned 39 okay and um and when i was 15, 14 was the first time I came to the North Shore, yeah. first time I went to Indo, and then every year since then has been the same sort of Surfing pilgrimage, from yeah, yep. just okay. that sort of so stuff. that's it, that's it. Um, and, you know, and I was really only doing competitions for like five years, yeah. so I was like 16 till I was, or 15 till I was 20, Yeah, right. and then I quit. Yeah. Uh, when I was 20, I quit, and, um, and so since then, I've, I've basically just sort of um, just pursued my interests in surfing um, and they for some reason have been interesting enough for f- filmmakers or yeah. photographers and writers to um, approach me and and say hey would you like to come on a trip to somewhere yeah. or hey can I come with you when you go on an adventure somewhere or something and um, and then I would if it felt right I would say yes but I've just had a really lucky um, path with all of that where I've never really pushed any of it. Like I've never seeked, I literally have never seeked out a photographer or a filmer and asked them to come shoot pictures of me. I have never done that ever. And I was talking to someone recently about it who was trying to school their their young up and coming grommets and like, oh, how do you build a career and everything? I was like, don't fucking ask me because <laughs> I, I didn't build anything. I haven't done, I haven't pursued it in any way whatsoever. All I've done is been so into what I'm doing with my own surfing and that somehow has attracted um, support and interest from, uh, you know, shapers, board short makers, wetsuit makers, yeah. film, uh, fin makers, those sort of, and like surf companies. And it's enabled me to just trip around and, and have this ridiculously fortunate surfing life for the last you know 20 years. Um, but I really haven't pers- pursued or pushed any of it. It's just sort of been like, hey, here com- here's an opportunity. Someone's pr- approached me with an idea. Like people like Thomas Campbell, who's made surfing films over the years, um, and he's you know just would write me a letter and say, hey, I want to do this trip to this place and would you be up for it? And that was one with yeah. Mike Stewart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we were just talking about yeah, Mike. Yeah. So that was like an amazing trip with Mike Stewart and Ozzy Wright and Dan Malloy and um, different people in those circles. So it's just been this really fortunate path. And, um, and so while that's been happening at the same time, interwoven with all that has been um, just my own sort of passion and pursuit of um, really just acknowledging the things on my travels that don't feel right, that don't mm. sit right with me. Yeah. And so that would be, you know, as a grommet going to Indo and you go back year after year and you see, oh, there's no more fish in this area. There's been so much dynamite yeah. fishing. All the fish is gone. You can't spearfish anymore. Yeah, right. You've got to go to bo- someone and buy a tiny little fish yeah. that that poor person has had to go five times the f- distance yeah. out in the ocean for five times the amount of time to get yeah. this, a smaller and smaller fish each season. And so all of a sudden I was starting to see these these um, places that year after year were just getting um, worse and worse mm. with, with the quality of the ecology in those areas. 
and like go to Japan and there's there's you know toxicity issues. I got so sick surfing in Japan one year after surfing one of those amazing river mouths. Yeah, right. And then also learning about um, the dolphin drives yeah. and the inhumane aspects of um, the fishing industry there, mm. uh, and and you know so on and so on all around the world. All these experiences that just sort of naturally led me towards conservation work mm. uh, and that was just again I wasn't really pursuing or pushing that it was just like man I got a, I met some local people who said hey do you think you could uh, write a story or shoot mm. some photos or like help us get some mm. attention on this issue yeah. where we can't fucking catch any fish anymore because mm. these um, huge um, factory sized ships are coming from Asia mm. and clearing out all of our fish, you know, mm. and that happened in the Galapagos Islands. Yeah, right. You know, all oh, that's the there was one that was only going to happen in Oz a while ago as well, right? Yeah, and super they banned trawler. It. Yeah, super, super trawler. trawler. Mm. So, so for me, that's sort of um, how conservation stuff um, started so happening for me. Where do you think, uh, on an individual or a personal level, though, like some per some person can go on the same journey you did and not notice a thing? Mm. You yeah. can go and notice and then kind of react and yeah. find perhaps, a way to... Perhaps, yeah. but I think this is, this is a part of what um, it means to um, be a free surfer. And I use my double finger thing there yeah. and, and be like free surfer because I don't really believe in that term. Mm. Uh, everyone who surfs is fucking free. You're mm. free to go surfing. It's, you're just free. Um, but to be a, a perhaps a sponsored surfer that doesn't do contests yeah. you, you have a wide open schedule to follow good surf anywhere around the world mm. and and we all know that that happens in these small bursts but then largely you're kind of chasing swell or you're mm. sitting around waiting for a swell yeah. or you're coming down from the high of a swell there's heaps of time there yeah so i think naturally you'll be in these places and if you're not just staring at your phone all day mm. and being some kind of self-centered human you're just naturally going to come across the stories of these yeah. places and the stories that the people mm. have. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, my good fortune of being able to just travel and surf, not necessarily travel and compete, mm. um, just opened up these experiences. Sure. And it's just like, I don't know, every, other, every surfer that I'd be on trips with would be concerned about these things yeah. too. Um, but I can't really answer why I would have chosen to pursue these things more than anyone mm. else was there any influence in your but early stages yeah there was, i had a couple older boys when i was a grommet who yeah. were really um who were really into sort of social work and, and and environmental work as well um that i got pulled into some of their work as a kid like one guy for example dennis callanan was his name yeah. he's passed away but he was one of rabbit bartholomew's best mates okay he was part of a group called sand surfers against nature's destruction okay, cool. in the 90s yeah, and right. so he was he pulled me into a few like suicide prevention programs for teenagers when i was a teenager wow um so i'd go and do stuff like that with him and then there'd be rallies to stop development on the gold coast yeah. or the tweed coast um, that they were involved in. So there was a little bit of that. Yeah, okay. Um, definitely a little bit of that. I think also my dad, when we lived in New Zealand, we grew up in New Zealand when I was little, he was a cop and sort of in the special okay. forces in New Zealand. And he had a real strong moral compass. Like he, he had a real sense of right and wrong okay. and justice in the world. Yeah, right. But his was more like a bit of a gnarly, like, fighting, brawling, violent, human-to-human right. -human justice, whereas right. I've always sort of strayed from the human world and more been interested in ecology yeah. and other non-human animals. Yeah. So for me, I, I think maybe his sense of justice um, did inspire me, but just not in the not in human sense, yeah. Yeah, not in his way. Like okay. I'm really... I'm not that really, I'm not interested in social issues. Yeah. I'm not that interested in the human story. Yeah. If I could choose it, I'd be in the bush and on the empty beaches around where I live all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, like I shy away from public events. If there's a big party happening, I'd be happier sitting at home. Yeah. You know, in front of a fire or reading a book. I'm yeah. not really that yeah. anthropocentric. I'm not that yeah. interested in the human world. Um, so I think, yeah, it, perhaps it came from my dad's history, but just shifted more in the 
and yeah. towards the ecology rather than the human. And through um, and through your kind of career then, or through this uh, fortunate you know surfing life that you've had, have you always been able to pursue the the kind of the activist instincts or take up the the cause like you could uh, like historically, or is that because now you're really on your front foot yeah. on a lot of ways. Mm. Has this has this kind of evolved for you, or mm. or is it yeah, not too a bad? Really, not too bad because mm. you know, like what you're hinting at there yeah. is is the the fact that I was working with Billabong, yeah. a very straightforward, you know, profit driven yeah. company um, within the surfing bubble, and now I'm working for. Patagonia and yeah. I'm really working for them it's not like a sponsored surfer deal where you yeah. just go surfing and yeah. and you know get photos and that's that it's like no actually we're working on stuff and um, and so the years with Billabong where I was creating um, campaigns conservation campaigns all I was doing it all the time yeah. um, they were really supportive not publicly and not openly yeah but personally the crew in there yeah, were really sure. supportive they're like of course of course we don't believe in the inhumane dolphin kills that are happening in japan yeah. and that was a tough one because it would affect billabong in japan and, yeah. and it was a contentious one um, but then other things like going to chile and supporting chilean people to create a whale sanctuary to protect all of their migrating whales the length of the entire coast of chile yeah right of course they're going to support yeah. me working on that yeah. because we're all surfers and it's like it's yeah. a, it's, the, it's just the, it's just the right thing to do it's mm. like it's it's not culturally sensitive or anything it's just the right fucking thing to do mm. um, so there was always really good support i would often um, use the strategy of asking for forgiveness instead of, per <laughs> instead of permission. permission. <laughs> so I, use I would that one put, a lot. yeah i would generally sort of force the hand uh -huh. of my sponsors or force cool. the hand of Billabong in those situations where I'd just do something yeah. and then someone from ABC or the media or whatever would approach Billabong and be like, so what's your position on on oh. David Rasevich's right. you know, campaign in Japan or campaign here in New Zealand or whatever? And of course they have to say they support my efforts yeah. and or they oppose the inhumane killing or you know, poaching or whatever. And, and so that's sort of more how I do it. Okay. Whereas if I asked, if I told them, look, hey, I'm planning this, this covert expose in a yeah. few months, yeah. um, will you support me? Yeah. There's no way they'd be <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. sure, let's go for it. Because I could get locked up in jail yeah. or I could be, you know, hurt in some way or something could happen that yeah. could go pear-shaped and, you know, they're sort of being dragged into it. So I just usually do it that way. Okay. I did did you things. ever push the um, asking for forgiveness right to its limits? Were there any moments where you're like, ooh, I might yeah, push a few, this a bit too Yeah, there's a few, few moments like that. Yeah. Because at that time too, I was really aligned with Sea Shepherd. Yeah, um, okay. When Sea Shepherd was starting to get a big pu public profile and you know, TV shows were being made about them and stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, they like to push the envelope. And then there was also you know, a lot of smear campaigning around them as eco-terrorists yeah. and stuff. So. There's definitely some sensitivities there yeah, yeah, sure. to, to dance around, um, but in general it was always it was always pretty smooth and um, and also you know like I don't I'm not overly confrontational hmm. like the things I've done in Japan were, were never like a, they weren't Sea Shepherd initiatives they weren't Sea Shepherd Style strategies because yeah. I know that that would never work in a place like Japan. It was more just about trying to open up conversation yeah. so that information can be shared. Yeah. So that was kind of nice for me to, I was always really um, aware when working with other cultures and countries um, to just be really open, respectful and kind of gentle mm. and just maintain conversation, like, you know, not be confrontational in any yeah. way. Um, just to be like, hey, we have this information here mm. and for some reason we have more information than you do and mm. this is this is directly uh, affecting your life yeah. so for example that what i'm mentioning there is um the fact that school ch school children in japan this is in the mid 2000s were being fed um, cetacean meat that was so loaded with mercury and oh, heavy metals really? wow. that it's it's a 
it's so detrimental to your nervous system, the development of your nervous system. Yeah. It's super dangerous for mums who are having children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it creates all kinds of nervous system damage in any age group, but especially kids. And, and no one that I knew in Japan yeah. who were surfers had any idea about this. And so yeah. I was just trying to get the information to them yeah. that for some reason we knew uh, more about these issues than those people. So that kind of thing, same in, in Chile, same in New Zealand with um, deep sea drilling and yeah. just that sort of stuff. Just yeah. trying to keep So it's, just, it's been about getting information to people. Yeah, just sharing information. And, and that's where the surfing network can work really well because because yeah. You know, we all have mates in different parts of the world. Certainly. We all have ways that we can communicate with each other mm. where we relate. You know, yeah. like you can meet a surfer in Norway. Yeah. And you'll look at each other and you'll kind of get each other in a way yeah. that non surfers might not. Like you yeah. could look at each other and go, yeah, I know that if it was offshore tomorrow and six foot four hours away, yeah. we would jump in the car right now and, and freaking get going so yeah. that we don't miss that. Yeah. And there's a level of relatability there that's really cool. Mm. And that transcends gender and religion yeah. and culture and language even yeah. um, all over the world. And so yeah. I think that is really cool because it's, it's more of a unifying thing than a dividing thing. Mm. And I like that surfing can do that it doesn't always do that and some cultures clash and yeah it has its clashes you know, there's, too. there's moments yeah where it happens but typically for me i've had more experiences of of you know connection with Positive people around connection. the world through yeah. surfing rather than division yeah. yeah yeah with your with those efforts then you've i mean i'm not i don't want to make you feel old by saying this um i'm 35 so i'm just a little bit younger than you but um the tools for spreading information that have kind of really evolved quite quickly over the time you've been doing this work, mm. um, this activism and awareness raising, has have the tools that have come along, such as social media, helped, or or do you th do you think mm. they've softened it a little bit, like with the noise? Is what do you think? Oh, do you I don't know. I don't, you're the one who's been doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're the one with an iPhone uh, and yeah, all these fancy gadgets sticking know, out of it. I know, I know, but like, okay, well, I, I think. I'm a bit of an optim. I'm a bit of a positive. Um, I'm optimistic yeah. about the effect that this can have. But having said that, I haven't been on the ground like you have, doing that work. So, was it better to connect when you were having literal conversations with people? Because that's what it would have been mostly about, and then it would have maybe been some magazine exposure, which might have come out in a month. Uh, might have been a news story that was once there. Yeah, it depends. If your goal is to create awareness, mm. then now is a more helpful, more opportunistic um, time because of all these devices yeah. and ability we have to communicate quickly and on a big scale. Yeah, yeah. But I've tended to only think of raising awareness as one part of a strategy and as a campaign yeah. so the raising awareness and I use the quote, yeah. quote thing Inverted there commas, yeah, yeah. Um, is not really good enough goal for nah. me for, for conservation work it's yeah. like it's great yeah. but where's the where's the results where's mm. the effect okay. um, of your actions so on a quantitative level yeah. it's bigger and more effective now but what's the quality of it quality you know, where's the quality it, it, is it turning into action yeah and that's an interesting rabbit hole. So yeah, on a quantity level, you can reach so many more people now yeah. with um, information. But on a, I, from my point of view, the quality, the, the trustworthy nature, mm. the, um, the quality of people's attention to mm. these f facts or stories, yeah. um, is really watered down now because there's just so much. Mm. There's so much coming at us. Yeah. There's so many stories coming so quick and they've shrunken and shrunken and shrunken into these tiny mm. little 20 second pieces. It's amazing, yeah. One paragraph or whatever, whatever medium you're talking about. Um, so the quality is questionable now. So um, how, do you, how do you operate then in this environment so Today, for me, like my, my response to that, yeah. my response to that is to be um, actually in the living world with people. Yeah. So face to face mm. in the community halls, down at the beach, 
in the forest where that um, direct action is happening, yeah. out on a ship, wherever, whatever the issue is, mm. being there yeah. with the people who mm. are the most affected and the yeah. most um, protective and the most um, empowered. Yeah. And, and that's real. That's really real. That's, you can't dispute those first-hand experiences. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think that is my own way to deal with the bombard bombarding um, media and excessive stimulation and, um, and sort of watered down quality of the media stories mm. that we experience now. So for example, I'll give you an example of that is going to um, South Australia in the last year or so, yeah. last year and a half, been going down regularly to um, the remote areas of the Great Australian Bight in South Australia to meet with small communities, like towns that have got 200 people in them. Yeah, right. Like small communities Must be of coastal folk yeah. who are fired up about the issue of um, big oil companies mm. wanting to come and drill off the coast there. Yeah. And and so instead of going from my home on the east coast, yeah. uh, jumping on an email and reaching out to those people and saying, how can we help mm. as Patagonia people yeah. and as surfers and as people embedded in the surfing organism, um, I would prefer to actually go there yeah. and meet the crew mm. and get a feel for the issue and the people and how I might be able to help and how Patagonia might be able to chip in yeah. and and that just feels amazing like mm. really doing it that way is um, is just really empowering and really um, it's it's just really fun mm. really um, educational in a way that I don't forget like I'll forget stats and I'll forget yeah. numbers that I read on a screen yeah. um, in fucking an hour's time yeah. you know when my grommy's crying or when the surf's good or something happens I'll forget all of that mm. I won't forget sitting around the campfire with crew down in the desert and then speaking about the hardships those communities have endured for the longest time mm. since European settlement mm and the latest threat being big oil, mm. and that right now all those people are terrified for their children's future and mm. the opportunities their children and their children's children will have in that area if something like oil industry and a spill were mm. to come to that amazing coast. So mm. that for me is just is, is um, really powerful and meaningful and it gives me the opportunity then when I leave those areas to then speak on behalf of those people yeah. or speak um, you know, against a corporation or a governing body that is going against the will of the people in that yeah. area. So I really, I really like that approach mm. of going, going to those places and firsthand having that experience. Yeah. With, the, um, with this kind of remote locations in Australia, um, do you find that tr talking about the local space is more important and the threats to their homes uh, as opposed to going real big picture with big ideas or big problems like climate change mm. that are a bit more abstract? Because um, mm. I think in the Australian context, at least my interpretation of it is that a lot of people are mostly worried about what's happening in their backyard. Mm. Um, but when it comes to really big stuff... In Australia, at least, it's become quite politicised and yeah. quite difficult yeah, to talk about. Right. So, do you find do you talk about climate change in this kind of big oil challenge that you've got, I or feel, do you leave it out of the? Out I of feel combat? like it's appropriate to have um, the whole spectrum yeah. in your conversations and your mm. approach and your actions. Mm. So, you know that old line of thinking globally and acting locally yeah. is appropriate there. Um, but I, I also think of, I kind of approach conservation work and, and um, you know, ecological issues in a similar way as I approach my own health and looking after my body. I'm like, uh -huh. you know, it really helps me to be helpful if I have a bigger 
strategy around having a healthy body and a healthy life. Yeah. But I also have to do the little things like, you know, don't drink too much beer, mm. you know, don't eat crappy food, mm. make sure I get little rests, you know, um, and drink lots of water and like all these small little things, mm. but they fit into a bigger picture on how I can sure. have the best life I can create. And I think these sort of movements um, and the movement to to preserve ecology and to create wonderful um, communities among a local ecology are a similar kind of thing where you yeah. have these bigger movements like in Australia right now with this oil issue. You have each council along the southern and southwest, southern and southeast communities of Australia um, rallying to formally oppose mm. big oil coming to the bottom of Australia. Mm. So that's kind of like this, a little bit of the bigger picture thing where these small little communities can go to local government, that local government goes to state government and then mm. nationwide government and then you know local media and then nationwide media and then look at us now talking yeah. to you know someone in the Arctic Circle. Yeah. You know, so it balloons out. So I see that in, in this particular uh, issue in this campaign, um, there are these small things happening yeah. on a grassroots level, yeah. like just like surfers talking with the local fishers and the fishing industry, yeah. talking with the local whale watch industry, yeah. and them all communicating on a nice yeah. grassroots local level. Um, but they're also then turning that into bigger momentum and bigger action yeah. through councils yeah. and and making formal opposition, public opposition. Um, against any kind of threat that would come to their area. Yeah. So I think that's really neat, you know, to mm. see those those um, levels of action, mm. that there's, there's small stuff, you know, small things like just a uh, local crew working with the kids at their school and all the kids are doing their art and their art projects for a school yeah. based on the local ecology uh -huh. and perhaps threats to the local ecology. Yeah. So it's really... A, a nice few thing oil to see that in the scale. kids' pictures lately. Or? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, like the mapping, you know, it's yeah, all, yeah. it shows the map. The Where map of go. a potential spill goes yeah. all the way through the bottom of the country. So it's kind of a neat thing to watch that and yeah. to watch those, um, just a holistic approach yeah. happening in, in Oz. Because you're right, like some people just really switch off when you talk big picture stuff. They really do, particularly with climate change. Yeah. I find that people get really like, them, like because Australia is quite politically divided like the U very sim I find it's very similar to the US but then living in Sweden where I live now it's very divided there as well yeah. it's not a utopia up there either there's, yeah. there's a lot of divisions and um, I do find that certain issues I don't think climate change is an issue in Sweden mm. is a politically divided one mm. everyone generally agrees yeah it's a thing that we mm. should do something about and take seriously but Oz is still pretty interesting in that you know, yeah. well, people can hold pretty strong views against it and, big time mm. well so, so one of the things we did in the last uh, year or so is create this um, small surf activism movie called Never Town. Yeah. And the idea of that was that we would create this short film piece that is essentially a celebration of our coast and mm. surfing imagery and it's stuff beautiful. where you just get really psyched on where we live yeah. and that we have prox such proximity to wild spaces and yeah. beautiful ecology. Yeah. And then we also have, you know, um, conversations in this small in this movie about the oil issue yeah. about fish farms yeah, and fish big farms got to run there farm, too. Um, mm. stories in the south in Tasmania and, and yeah. Bass Strait and logging on the yeah. mainland with Wayne Lynch mm. um, and so we dive into those things but we only did that a little bit because because of the sensitivities like you're saying where mm. people some people really switch off when you start talking climate change or big picture mm. um, environmental issues we wanted to be able to create create a, a night at the local hall, yeah. local community centre or wherever we could, um, where everyone would come yeah. and watch the surf and get psyched on, you know, beautiful waves and yeah. coastline. And then we could have a discussion beforehand and after the movie about what local issues are happening there and then. Yeah and give the people an opportunity to meet local conservationists or local yeah. community groups who are there that night and um and channel some of that energy that was created yeah. on the night like you know surf stoke and everything yeah um towards towards a local issue and, yeah. and predominantly that was the oil issue and the fish farm yeah. thing yeah um but that was a neat way to um 
to sh sort of sh zoom in, shrink down this big picture stuff and speak about yeah. it locally because every region in Australia is experiencing an ecological shift right now that is really tumultuous. Yeah. So if you live in the northwest of WA, like places like Kalbarri and mm. Exmouth mm. and Carnarvon and um, all the way down to Perth, there was a, a heat wave in the ocean a couple right. of years ago that happened where water temperatures rose so much they killed like 90% of the seaweed forests yeah, in that right. region. So know. then all of a sudden the weed's gone, the fish can't eat anything, mm. so the fish are gone. Yeah. So fishing um, in that region, that whole northwest region is suffering hugely. Yeah, right. They've got the same thing down in Tasmania, so the opposite end of the country, like yeah. literally draw a line across Australia yeah, diagonally right. down to the southeast, yeah. and Tasmania's lost 90% of its kelp forests yeah, right. in the last from few sea, years from sea from temperature, sea rise. temperature rising yeah, right. and coming down so far that it's cooking the weed yeah, right. and it can't live so 90 percent loss in tassie that's one of the, the most heavily hit yeah. regions on the planet when it comes to kelp forests and they're yeah. like the building blocks of ecology yeah, yeah, yeah. and from up from there you go through everything else that yeah. has um that's has dependence on those so so mm. you're seeing in these these places that look beautiful to the eye, there's yeah. not that much development, there's heaps yeah, of space, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the water's clear and all this sort of yeah. stuff. But then actually, if you speak to the fishermen mm. or you're the kelp farmers or you speak to any the f people who are trying to grow fruit f uh, food on the landscape that's losing yeah. all its topsoil, yeah. you scratch the surface a little bit and yeah. you find these stories of real struggle, mm. of industries that are, are starting to fail and collapse or of... Uh, foods that are, are just not uh, available anymore. Yeah. So that is an interesting one where mm. all of a sudden you do have farmers, you do have fishers who are typically pretty conservative crew yeah. mm. rocking up to a Patagonia sort of environmental night Yeah. going, oh yeah, I'm not really into this hippie shit, but, <laughs> but mate, I can't fucking feed my family. Yeah. Like this technique that we've been using, this yeah. industrialized technique of fishing or yeah. farming, Yeah is not working right now because everything's shifting. The yeah. whole game is shifting. The ecology yeah. is shifting. So that's been an interesting experience. Well, it's interesting that to, to sit on this discussion a bit longer because one of the, the funniest ironies I've always considered in my life um, discussing environmental issues is that conservation and conservatism hmm. are like, they're pretty much you know cousins or they're brothers and sisters in the middle. Um, to be conservative means you like to kind of keep things the way they are, politically conservative. To be environmentally conservative means you want to try and preserve things the mm. way they are. Mm. Um, so the fact that the conservative political idea hasn't been able to um, kind of jump in bed with the cons conservation movement is really mm. interesting. Mm. It's, um, it's kind of a, a great irony, but I do, you know, hearing this from you, I mean, it sounds like these critical moments are bringing yeah, people across. Yeah, it's happening, it's happening yeah. right now. And another opportunity for that experience happened a couple of years ago. So this is like three years ago now, four mm. years ago, uh, in our region in the northeast of New South Wales. Yeah. Um, so that's like, you know, the land of milk and honey, point breaks everywhere, beautiful surf. Yeah. You know, you've got just an amazing coastline. Yeah. We had uh, coal seam gas industry fracking. Yeah. yeah. Um, companies come to our area so this one company met Gasco was coming to the hills behind where we live Byron Bay, Ballina, yeah. Angari, all these yeah, beautiful yeah. spots yeah. and had um, paid off a local councillor and a local farmer under the table to have access to the land to put some drills in mm. and start uh, fracking so yeah, right. sending heavy chemicals yeah. toluene and all these yeah, nasty yeah, yeah, chemicals yeah which also happened to be in surfboards. Yeah. So we can't point the finger too we're gonna much. We're going to get to that bit in the conversation. But, so, but yeah. they were going to frack. Yeah. And, um, and so anyway, this, huge, this unbelievable blockade create was created to stop the trucks and yeah. the machinery from breaking ground. Yeah. And it turned into this thing called the Bentley blockade. Yes. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, we had thousands of people yeah. from our area there every day yeah. for months blockading yeah. and yeah. I went out there regularly and was rallying surfers in our, in our area to get there too and uh, it all came to a head and um, like every morning you'd have the experience of how the the environmental movement is changing because you'd wake up and there'd be local Aboriginal elders and spokespeople holding ceremony in the morning yeah 
to acknowledge the land, the ancestors and the kids and everyone present there to protect the place. Yeah. And they would be standing around a fire next to a cattle farmer, <laughs> yeah. a real estate Sick. owner, a school teacher, yeah, yeah, yeah. a chicken farmer. Must have been crazy. Like knitting nanas. Yeah, the knitting nanas, they're cool. They're you know, cool, I love that. School those. kids, yeah. surfers. Yeah. It was unbelievable yeah. so people like look look at my goosebumps yeah, on my that. arms it's, it's that. unbelievable yeah. because you had to you have people who would be typically at each other's throats yeah. in the past yeah standing side by side at like five in the morning freezing yeah. cold yeah bringing in the day yeah. acknowledging the spirits and the land and the water and the air and everything yeah. that was magic about that place and they were there to ensure that it's there for their kids and their yeah. kids' kids. And it was fucking amazing. Yeah. And it worked. And so the Bentley blockade um, escalated to a point where uh, the government were going to send riot police from Sydney yeah. because all the local police were not going to crack heads yeah, and move yeah, anyone yeah. on because no, none of them wanted this, anyway. this industry there either. Mm. And so it all came to a head. And the morning that all these riot police were going to come from Sydney to move everyone very, very physically mm. from the blockade, there was thousands of people there. Like it, 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 um, it went from like 800 to 1,000 people typically to I think it was somewhere between five and 6,000 people That's in the early morning huh? ready to, to meet these riot police, like kids, grandmas, grandpas, everyone. Because the show, a lot of people would, were probably sitting at home kind of happy to see, like agreeing with the action but not feeling like they could yep. take the step out themselves. But yep. then that one moment, there was a critical moment where they're like, well, I, I need to go now. Yep, yep. It's and everyone stepped up. So, mm. so that was really an incredible experience. And it's gone on to be quite an influential um, strategy that was used there at that site mm. in other actions all around Australia okay. and around the world mm. where industry is trying to bully its way into an area yeah. where an, a, a, a local community mm. um, clearly doesn't want that industry in their backyard. Yeah. There might be one person or one tiny little minority group who have sold out in some yeah. way and are willing to jeopardize the local yeah. water supply or the air or whatever. Mm. But in, in the majority of the community, there is opposition. Mm. And so that blockade is serving as quite a um, inspiration for communities around the world mm. to do that. So the reason I brought that up though was to, mm. to just to show how that um, environment in Australia is really changing that mm. you have farmers and greenies mm. standing Hanging side out. by side all over the country that's happening yeah. that's crazy it's really amazing it's super cool and um, I think it's a it's a good effort uh, from everyone involved with, with your involvement in some of these um, on the ground kind of issues what, what are your main focus areas would you say um, moving forward <laughs> with like what are your your you're focused on the bite like like okay with your job mm. what do you do do you look at an issue and go okay i'm going to focus on that for one year or well well it it's it's kind of um it's kind of like people reach out to us okay. through patagonia yeah. so, so patagonia has that reputation of supporting grassroots yeah. groups and individuals yeah and so we have a grants program in australia and all over the world with patagonia um, yeah. but we have a grants program where we give out money and support and assistance to yeah. grassroots groups yeah. activists uh, working to preserve ecology yeah. or repair ecology in a local area yeah and um and so part of my job is working with those groups and yeah. figuring out who those groups are and um and also really zooming into the coastal and the surf um, yeah. communities that would fit within that yeah so the oil issue in South Australia um, really came to us where just having friends in the community down there, they yeah. were like, oh man, we need help. Yeah. Like we need help stopping this industry from bullying its way in because yeah. all the people here are against it. But we, how do we rally everyone and, and yeah. turn these seemingly disparate groups of people into a unified yeah. um, group that's effective yeah. and can speak for the community and so that was I was like oh great well I've had quite a lot of experience over the years with that transition of yeah. going from you know small little individuals to a, a strong collective yeah. and uh, and so that kind of thing just works yeah. it's literally so it comes it's just across that your surf desk network. it comes yeah, through just, your email you just get a, or call, you get a call you get a text from someone and they're like hey I'm a mate of Heath's you know yeah. a mate Heath Josky in yeah. South 
and uh, you know we we kind of we're trying to figure out what to do. We need to do like a fundraiser or a community event, or we got to get we got to somehow get to our council or something. And so we were like, all right, cool. Well, there's these books we've done. Patagonia's done this book called um, Tools for Grassroots yeah. Activists, and it's a most amazing Bible yeah. on how to make good trouble and just yeah. like make good kind trouble, of stir the pot, you know. <laughs> and and and, and, um, and so, bam, we'll be like, okay, well, here you go. Here's a book. What's your address? Flick ten of those books to them, yeah. and then when they get them, we'll get on the phone, have a yak, and be yeah. like, oh, what did you think about that strategy? You know, is yeah. it good to do a big art installation, yeah. or is it good to post up outside your council chambers and just be an irritating voice there every yeah. day, you know, or do you need to focus on one council member or whatever the strategy is, but just come up with a strategy. Cool. So it's kind of like that. Okay. And the same thing in King Island. So King Island has that amazing wave, Marcel Lavinia, the wedge of all wedges. That was a lot of fun to watch. Everyone loves that joint. Yeah. And yeah. and the the fish farm industry is trying to come from Tassie and put a fish farm right there. The local people Is it on that wave? Is yeah, it that it's that right wave? on the corner of the oh, island. Wow. So it's just around the corner. Right. But it's it's like you'd see, you see it, you see the yeah. site from where you're surfing. That'd be a tragedy. So people sure. there are just the same thing. They're like, yeah. oh, how can we, how can we, you know, get together and become a clear communicator that our community doesn't want this, and we'll yeah. just we'll go and we'll try and help out where we can. Yeah. So yeah. it's that kind of thing, and that's where the Nevertown movie came up. We were like, oh, it'd be great if we could get people to their local community hall, and get them in front of. A local activist mm. who can educate the community firsthand, yeah. Yeah. not us. Like yeah. we don't get up on the fucking stage. I was and about to say, stuff. It, it, do you I speak just, at these I just things? introduce and be like, "Hey, okay. here's Charlie. Yep. Charlie here is a local school teacher on the island for cool. decades, and he's all over this issue. And yeah. we've got his back. The surfing industry and surfing community have his back. Yeah. And here's what he's got to say. Here's the update on the issue. Cool. And bam, then yeah. Charlie's like fired up. up. They all man. know him and that's yeah. just the way to do it. Yeah. Like it's not us doing that. No. Nah. Just being enablers really, just yeah. trying to help and enable those people. Well, it's cool. But like, well then let's look at the surf industry a bit then because, you know, I'd, I'd probably argue it's not really the surf industry helping. It's it's only a few actors within mm. it who are, who are taking some leadership positions and, you know, Patagonia is one of them. Out and known as well with what Slater's doing. He's always quite active. He's got a few things going on mm. with his work. Um, you see the WSL kind of engaging with um, Corona to do yep. kind of plastic pollution yeah. initiatives and whatnot. Do you, in your opinion, your experience, um, do you feel like they're doing everything they could do? Or do you think that they're basically hitting their mark well, I can't really speak for other people too much, but it does seem like there is much more effort and acknowledgement of these yeah. issues now in the surfing collective than yeah. there ever was, Yeah, which is good in some areas. Yeah. In surfboard manufacturing and stuff, no. Nah. In a lot of the garment industry, no. Yeah. Um, but then in the overt conversations, yeah. so on their web clips on the overt promotion of yeah. their events on the tour stuff yeah. like that overtly there's much more conversation about it yeah. but if you were to dig a bit deeper yeah. it doesn't seem like there have been too many deep changes nah. within the industry yeah. um, you know and we try and we try and um, you know open up doors and open up um, opportunities for industry to 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 change their practices like a couple few years ago i went to sri lanka to visit the fair trade factories yeah. where um so the surf line stuff from patagonia yeah. is made yeah um and to see fair trade certification practices mm. and you know and that's available for the surf industry yeah, totally. but we're not seeing anyone jump on that yeah so i don't know what the fuck's going on there or ulx so yeah. moving away from petrochemical based wetsuits yeah. yeah. um there's only like sia is a young, is a um small um women's brand out of california using handmade ULEX there as well. that are using ulex okay. maybe o'neill or someone else is maybe thinking about using it um so there's these things that patagonia does where it makes it available to yeah. other members of the surfing industry um, but we're not really seeing them jump on board so I, mm. so that's my way of saying no i don't think they're doing as much as they could okay but there are those surface level um, conversations and there are acknowledgements and efforts being made that weren't made yesteryear. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so it's, a, it's a little tricky one there where it's like, yeah, there's been a bit of a opening up and a 
a bit more sort of transparency yeah. in some ways, but there's still do you a find lot more that could be done. Do you done. find other surfers that you talk to, like in the professional circle when you do happen to bump into them? Because I, I get that mm. you don't seem to spend so much time with a lot of the other pro surfer yeah. guys in the, in, the, in the scene a bit. But um, there, there is an awareness there with them. I, I feel like it's not like they're mm. unaware, but is it just that, do you think, like what's the problem with the brands? Like why are they having such trouble kind of Again, adjusting? it's like I see it like how we look after our own bodies and yeah. our own lives. You know, most of us won't, start eating healthy and clean up our act mm. until we're really crook yeah or until we're hit with some sort of a crisis moment yeah you know like you won't stop drinking yeah. and partying until you get either really sick or yeah. you get in a fight yeah. or something really shitty happens yeah, yeah, yeah and then you'll clean up your act yeah and and so i think a lot of a lot of us on smaller and larger scales we just do the same thing yeah. like, I could be doing way more to clean up my act yeah. on my property living at home and yeah. stuff I still have a bin that fills up with rubbish every couple of weeks and yeah. drive a sh stinky shitty car and yeah. there's things I could do that would be much much better for my health and the planet's health but I'm not doing them yet mm. you know so I can't point the finger at anyone else and mm. be like why the fuck aren't you doing more yeah. or you know why isn't the industry doing more mm. um, because we're all kind of guilty of that sort of um, amount of self-interest and protection of self and then you know looking at the bigger picture and working for the benefit of others mm. you know it's, it's just um, it's a tricky balance mm. so with the like pro surfing world it's pretty rare that I'm with anyone in that world but yeah. when I am they're all really responsive to yeah. these issues and and they do give a shit mm. I think largely it's about um, providing an option for action yeah. and an option to act on those feelings and that's where I feel like um, with like our work in Patagonia right now in Oz that's where we're really fired up to be like okay well hey there's not that much activism in the surfing world in Australia mm. these days well let's change it and start to make that more available and accessible for surfers and mm. and try and figure out ways to turn um, you know, Instagram activism mm. into action. Mm. You know. It's funny when you were just saying that about the, the surfers having the, um, they're responsive to it and that there might even be an inclination on the part of many of them to do something about it, but it's one of the problems that they, they don't know where to start because it reminded me of the, the town hall, like why are you bringing everyone into these community meetings because they call up and go, we want to do something about this, but yeah. we don't know but where to what? start. Yeah. So do you think that might be one of the challenges in, for actual pro surfers who, I don't know, hopefully yeah, maybe someone totally. might be listening to it? Like, is, is, is that maybe part of the problem? They don't know where to start. Yeah, yeah. And largely, most of us don't know where to start, yeah, surfers or not. That's true. So when we were showing this, the movie in um, California, we had these awesome conversations and everyone there is so overt and talkative yeah, yeah, yeah. and willing to stand up and have a chat about yeah. things and so we were coming across that where a lot of people were just overwhelmed especially there in Southern California there's so many issues mm. so many things going on um, so it was really great to be able to see how f people were really fired up about these issues but then how for a lot of people when they take in all of these big global stories they watch the news and they yeah. see all these issues there's so much going on that it, it, it basically overwhelms you mm. and disempowers you to a point of inaction. Yeah. You're just like, well, what's the fucking point yeah. of me doing this thing here in my local area when all of this stuff is going on around the yeah. world? What is it going to do? Mm. And so um, my response to that with people when we were chatting with people there was to acknowledge those big stories, but then zoom in mm. and really focus mm. on your local your local area your mm. local community your local ecology because no one knows it and loves it as much as you yeah. who lives among it mm. and has the story there yeah so um so what i've been experiencing in the last few years is that when you zoom right in with people on their mm. local area and they talk about that one little estuary mm. where it breaks every couple of years and there's an unbelievable right or a mm. left there and stuff and then yeah. they know they just know it so well through surfing yeah um that that's the place to start mm. and then once you get your hands dirty you realize how much fun it is mm. to give a shit about somewhere and you mm. tap into this community of other people who give a shit yeah 
and who are leading a meaningful life mm. and you go oh, this is actually really fun mm. this isn't the like obligatory um, conservation thing of turning up to a protest or whatever it's yeah. actually really fun you think you're trying to figure out ways to disrupt the system mm. and actually be a troublemaker yeah. like most surfers you know pretend to be or are yeah. promoted to be yeah. anti-establishment yeah, and all yeah, of that yeah. it's like well let's fucking let's actually do it. do it it's funny you say that about those starting in a local place too because surfers are pretty good and bad um at taking ownership of places yeah you know like uh, yeah. at a local spot you know like territorial in the water in you way. get there's a lot of territorialism but um and we know it so intricately yeah. and that to me is a is a a position of author not authority but a position um, that is really valid yeah. and worth something. Yeah. So when you talk to someone who goes to that beach every morning to yeah. check the surf, yeah. and it is for a selfish means, like, yeah. I want to get away, get wise, yeah. but they're also observing all the subtle shifts in mm. an area, and they know when something's not right with the local river and yeah. it smells funny yeah. or the fish aren't there, or yeah. they know when the currents have shifted and all of a mm. sudden all these strange things are coming from the coral sea and yeah. the water temperature's rising and... Yeah. They know all these things that are really valuable, mm. and surfing can deliver that kind of wisdom and that kind of knowing mm. that I think gives us an opportunity to be coastal stewards and coastal protectors and custodians. You know, mm. it's like you don't have to go to university. It's great if you do, and mm. you get these letters and numbers next to your name or whatever. Mm. But but just being that crusty man or woman on the point every day mm. for 20 years you have a position there that's really valid and you mm. can use that to make sure it's there for your groms and their groms and so on and so on and, and so I like that I, I like seeing that mm. and, and, and again I think that's just that's sort of happening more and more mm. alongside the thing of farmers and greenies and fishermen yeah. and hippies starting to stand together mm. you're also starting to see people who don't have a formal ed education still standing up at public meetings mm. and feeling like they have a valuable voice. Yeah. And that's cool because mm. that's exactly what huge corporations and or governments don't want happening. Mm. They want to divide and conquer, divide the community, divide, divide, mm. divide you into these smaller and smaller and smaller individual mm. pieces that can just be easily brushed aside. Mm. Um, so it's like, well, hey, this strategy to oppose that and to balance that and live in this a more balanced ecology mm. and community is to unite, unite and unite. And you can unite each other, but you can also unite your perspective and, and look that, oh, actually, if you drilled way out to sea, it would affect us in here. Mm. The ocean doesn't have these borders and these lines nah. where, oh, you can do all this damage over there, but it won't affect anyone downstream. Yeah. We all know that's bullshit. Mm. If you're a coastal or a water person, you know how united and connected mm. every ecology is. Yeah. So it's like that unite, unite, unite perspective is just naturally what comes from being, you know, a water person. You just you see the interconnected nature of all the ecology that we're a part of, mm. and start to see that we have it too between mm. humans, you know, mm. human animal. Well, I think that is about as good as I could dream to finish off a podcast. <laughs> unite, unite, unite. Um, thank you so much for taking yeah, the time today. Um, Likewise. Big it's shout great. out to, I mean, I've got to say Nevertown was fantastic and I've shown it myself to friends and family to check it out. Not, not only for the environmental message, but the fact that it was just beautiful to see parts of Oz that, um, yeah, cool. that are really special. So maybe for all of the people in uh, Scandinavia listening, if you haven't seen Nevertown, check it out. It's... um full of some epic surfing and yeah. some really beautiful parts of Oz. And make your own version of that. Yeah. Because when we were sharing it in, in America, so it was because it was really Australian mm. movie. Yeah. Like, it's pretty Aussie, like it Midnight Oil and real Aussie. We were like, no one anywhere else is going to like this. You yeah. know, they're not going to relate to these Aussie yeah. bogans sitting yeah, on the yeah. cliff <laughs> across the old main lynch, <laughs> you know, taking the piss. <laughs> but people were getting it and they were going, and this is exactly what we wanted. They were like, yeah, man, I love in my local spot when that migration happens and you see all the grey whales out the yeah, back in Southern California yeah, or the blue whales occasionally yeah. and, and then the one winter storm that comes through and it stirs everything up and the water yeah. gets real cold and we get these big peaks and yeah. I'm like, dude, make your version of Nevertown for your area. There's, like, a, you, there's you, a challenge. You know it. And yeah. so I would say that to people yeah. here who are listening to this and 
if you're up in that part of the, the northern part of the planet you live in a beautiful place mm. and no one knows it like you do so share it and show it in that way in order to repair it or to keep it beautiful you know and i think that is a good meaningful surfing life if you're doing if you're doing that as well as getting tubed and having a good time <laughs> that's the, that's the other bit <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for joining me. And to all the listeners, you can uh, follow a link that'll be connected in this podcast um, to check out Nevertown. And if you've got an issue and you want to do something about it, maybe chat to Patagonia. I might be able to help you out. Right on. So there was an interview with Dave Rastovich for the Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It was an absolute pleasure to record with him. Uh, Lucky to bump into him in Hawaii very briefly recently. Uh, As you may know, there's a campaign that's ongoing uh, regarding the proposal by Equinor to drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. There's been an overwhelming response from surfers who uh, follow Nordic Surfers magazine, but also globally. Uh, There's never really been uh, an action by surfing quite like this, but there's still more to do. The, The victory is not assured. Uh, We've got a few links in the bio where you can follow up and put your name to a number of different petitions that are floating around. Please do if you think that, you know, some places out there ought to be protected. But we'll leave that one up to you. Thanks again to Dave Rastovich for uh, dropping by and uh, stay tuned for much more.